Today on Missing the Point, we're joined by Pro Football Focus's college football analyst Anthony Tresh to break down the Patriots' move so far in free agency and why he thinks while the Patriots have had a major impactful offseason so far, that doesn't necessarily mean that the Patriots will be better in the 2021 NFL season as long as the quarterback position remains unchanged. This is Missing the Point, episode 46, but it's all relative. Welcome into Missing the Point, and we are here today for an interview with Pro Football Focus Senior College Analyst Anthony Tresh, a 2019 graduate of one of my favorite named colleges in the country, Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, IUPUI, if you will, with a degree in sports management. Anthony's been with PFF in some capacity since 2018, first as a football analyst before being hired full-time in June 2019 as a graphics coordinator, and then in his present role as senior college analyst in December of 2019. Tresh has also worked for the Indiana Pacers, the Indianapolis Colts, and the Cincinnati Reds in a number of different capacities, most notably as a game day stats intern for the Colts. You can find him on Twitter at PFF Anthony. And Anthony, one thing I I found interesting was right on PFF, your bio is Tresh joined PFF full-time in June of 2019 after being poached out of grad school by the company. He primarily works as a college football analyst, but still dabbles in the NFL, which that last line is great for us. But what were you studying that they were able to so easily poach you out? Yeah, it was data science with a specialization in sports analytics. I got like, I think through a third of my degree. So I go back whenever I want and finish up the rest of two thirds. But then I had a decision to make whether I keep going or work with PFF because there's no way I could have done both because that degree is an absolute brutal one to pursue. So then I made the the easier decision to come here to Cincinnati and work for PFF. And I'm glad I did it because it's, I couldn't ask for a better opportunity. Are you from that area? Close to it, Southeastern Indiana. Oh, cool. Okay. That that explains why you've worked with the Colts and, and the Pacers and the Reds. When I read that you worked for the Colts as a game day stats intern, that kind of, I nerded out. I'm a sports information director myself. So th- that was r- right up my alley. So, hey, let's get right into it though, because we're, we're all kind of New England Patriots fans and based up here in New England. And you've had a, a lot of things to say about the New England Patriots, along with the other 31 NFL teams, as we get closer to the draft and, and further into free agency. And in your article that outlines the needs for all 32 teams in the NFL, you wrote that the Patriots are in need of a quarterback, wide receiver, and defensive back, and we couldn't agree more. But it's never, you wrote, it's never good when a team's three biggest needs are the three most valuable positions on the field. The quarterback situation is really contingent on whether the Patriots trade away stars to Von Gilmore. To that end, what do you think the Patriots can do in order to upgrade at those three positions, whether it's through the draft or free agency? Yeah, I mean, it, had you asked me, you know, about a month ago, I would have said it would probably be in their best interest to go ahead and liquidate whatever assets they have and kind of sit out this free agency period, go into it and enter it pretty quietly and prepare to just kind of rebuild this season and prepare for the 2022 NFL draft because there is a very good quarterback in that class and Spencer Radler of Oklahoma that I think is going to be an incredible NFL quarterback that he is worth kind of throwing in the towel for. But they obviously have, did not do that with their big spending and free agency. So now they're kind of in a rough spot because I think 
there, there's going to be a lot of teams in this upcoming draft, you know, trying, you know, calling up Miami, who sits with the number three overall pick and possibly even land at number four because the way they restructured Matt Ryan's contract makes us lead to believe that they're not going to be taking a quarterback in the first round of the 2021 NFL draft. So I think they're going to be among those teams, the several of them, I would expect probably six or seven trying to trade up to one of those spots to secure Justin Fields. And I really do think with what they've already done that they should go all in on giving up whatever they can to get Justin Fields in that number three overall pick. It's going to take a lot for them to do since they sit back at uh, number 15. But just the way they've kind of constructed the roster, if they don't get a quarterback in this upcoming class, one of the top ones that is. And a lot of people, there's debate about Zach Wilson and Justin Fields. In any other given class where there's not a Trevor Lawrence prospect, those guys are number one overall picks. I mean, this is just an incredibly talented quarterback class. And I expect them to go in the top four you know, in the first four picks. And I think Mac Jones is probably going to be up there too at number eight. But, you know, I don't think they can ride into the season with Cam Newton just because in that case, they're going to finish, you know, close to 500. And since they're adding the 17th game in there, I think they would be a seven and 10, eight and nine type of team. And that's not going to get you very far in the way the roster is constructed. I think they're set up to do that for the next few years. And I think they'd be entering kind of quarterback purgatory just because, you know, the Patriot way is to be as competitive as possible. But as we've seen over the last few years with my, the Miami Dolphins, you know, the Cleveland Browns, that you need to have a proper rebuild. You know, you're not going to be like the Dallas Cowboys and get lucky and land a Dak Prescott in day three. You're not going to, you know, be a lucky team like the Kansas City Chiefs who lands Patrick Mahomes outside the top 10 who decided to trade up from the back end of the first round. And so, you know, I, I think priority number one is to trade up for a quarterback. But, you know, if, if they're still sitting there at number 15, considering everything that's going to happen, I think they might as well just go ahead and take a wide receiver, you know, and attack, you know, what's there, the best position that's available. And I think there's going to be a pretty good wide receiver there for the taking. Devontae Smith? Potentially, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, there's a lot of people, you know, he's one of the more interesting ones. You know, him and Mac Jones, the two Alabama guys, I'm not, like, it's hard to gauge where they're going to end up just because they both kind of have their own concerns you know obviously with Devonta Smith it's his frame and you know we've never really seen a guy his I mean he can't it just came out that he's 170 pounds right now we've never seen a guy you know with his stature really have great success at the NFL level but at the same time we've never seen a prospect coming out like Devonta Smith at that size that is as complete as he is I mean really that's the only knock you you could really have on him he does everything else at the position at an ex extremely high level I mean then with Mac Jones too it's because he had a guy like Devonta Smith and, you know, Steve Sarkeesian was a great play caller. Everything was schemed up for him, open receivers left and right. Um, and I just don't think that's as, you know, I don't think his whole success was because of that. I mean, you look at the, a guy that had, you know, pristine timing. He was incredibly accurate with the ball, great decision-making. The processing speed was there. I think he is a top 10 quarterback, but, you know, those two prospects in particular, it's hard to gauge where they are. I think Mac Jones will end up a top 10 pick, but Devonta Smith, as the days get closer to the NFL draft, I'm starting to think that he might slide out of the top 10. He might just be there at 15. But if I had to put my money on it, I would say he's probably going to get taken a few picks before that. So with what you just said, like if Smith does fall out of the top 10, right, and he's and he is there at 15, do you still kind of sell the house or sell the farm to go get Justin Fields at three? If, if you can, like, what do you think it would take to get him? So it's actually a three-part question. I apologize for this. Like, what would it take to get him? Are teams scared of, you know, betting it off for a quarterback from Ohio State? Because there has not been a really good NFL quarterback from Ohio State in, in quite a long time. Or do you, do you just hope that Smith falls? Yeah, I mean, I think you definitely give up whatever you can. And I think there's going to be a pretty big bidding war for those picks. So I, I think it's going to take, you know, multiple first rounders to get the job done for sure. 
especially for New England sitting back there at 15. And, you know, it seemed like Miami, you know, I think they would be willing to sit back at 15 just because they are they are in an incredible position. I mean, this is an exact reason why you need to kind of, you know, you know, quote unquote tank and really kind of give up everything just to get all these assets because that's exactly what they did. And they're sitting in an incredibly good spot right now. I mean, they have a couple first rounders. I mean, shout out to Bill O'Brien there. He should have an, a job in their front <laughs> office for the job he did for that team. You know, I think they, they need to do whatever they can to get a guy like Justin Fields. And even though you compare him to past like Ohio State quarterbacks and like him and Dwayne Haskins are just so drastically different. I and mean, you could see it in the PFF grades and, you know, graded, you know, Justin Fields, he's had more open throws created than any other quarterback in his class, even more than Mac Jones. You know, he's, his tight window passing rate is minimal. But, you know, you look at everything he has, the, the physical tools are off the charts. You know, Dwayne Haskins didn't really have that. I mean, this is a kind of guy that's going to, that could run in the four fours, sort of the 40 yard dash goes. You know, his arm strength, the accuracy, the decision making's there. And if anyone wants to have any knock on him, it's just sometimes, you know, those coverage rotations, they it got to him a few different times. We saw some growth. Um, but you go back to that 2019 sem- CFP semifinal game against Clemson and Tigers. I mean, that got him. And then you saw the blitz recognition sometimes against Northwestern Indiana this past season. I mean, he'll hold onto the ball sometimes a little bit too long. But that's something that can get coached out of him. I think there's no doubt he may not, you know, come in, light it up right away, but give him a few weeks with the right, you know, coaching and supporting cast. I think he's going to be a star at the next level. I mean, yeah, I don't think they should really kind of look back compared to other past quarterbacks because I think Justin Fields is just a little bit different. So. I definitely think he's a guy that's worth, you know, trading a lot up for. That was one one knock on Tom Brady way back when was that he held on to the ball too quick, too long, but they coached that out of him. So when you mentioned and to harp on this subject for another second, trading with Miami might be something that they're open to. One, you say they, they could be comfortable sitting at 15, but Brian Flores and Bill Belichick having a good relationship between them. You know, Belichick has, it's been floated out there that, that Belichick is willing to trade Nikhil Harry. He's willing to trade Stefan Gilmore. Stefan Gilmore could be a tough one because there's rumors that he could hold out if he doesn't get a new contract going into the final year, his contract. So it could have to be a sign and trade thing along with the number 15. Um, Looking at Cam Newton's contract, even though they paid him $1 million last year, he's really not geared up to be the starter at $6 million. And, and I agree with you that they have to be aggressive and go get something. Would Gilmore, Harry, and two first-round picks be enough to get three from Miami for Justin Fields? I don't think so. I mean, looking at you know what Miami wants, I, I would think that it's just solely draft capital just because their team's pretty complete right now. You know, I think their biggest weakness right now is their offensive line. I mean, it's an incredibly bad spot, but that's not something really New England can offer unless they're, you know, willing to part ways with Michael and Wayne. But also at the same time, I, I don't think from their perspective they think it's an issue, but it, it really is an issue. I mean, they just got rid of Ted Cross, and now they had Matt Skira there, who's not a very good center. And you look at their tackle situation, it's just really not all that great all around. But I, I'm not so sure they actually recognize that. And, you know, you look at their secondary too. I mean, they're sitting pretty good there with Xavier and Howard. And Byron Jones. I mean, we're talking about one of the best outside cornerback duos in the entire NFL. And I'm really excited to see if they can kind of reclaim that standout play from Justin Coleman in the slot that we saw back in 2017 and 2018 with Seattle after those uh, rough years in Detroit under Matt Patricia. So I, I think it would be more of, you know, I think Adwainu possibly would be in that kind of package, but I think it would be more about the draft capital. And I think Miami would be willing to kind of, you know, try and flip that draft capital for other players down the road that ever, you know, might pop up. Well, we know that Bill Belichick is known for avoiding first round picks like the plague. But 
to something else that you wrote, just switching gears here a little bit, the overspending of the Patriots, which this is record spending. And one guy that came in here on, on the day one of tampering was Nelson Aguilar. And this is obviously a very big need for the New England Patriots. We were hoping they would go out and get a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster or Corey Davis, who both are now going to be paid less by New York and Pittsburgh, respectively, than the Patriots are going to pay Aguilar. Of course, his cap hit is lower, but his salary is still pretty high. You wrote that Aguilar is being paid under the assumption that he'll replicate his 2020 production and then some. 48 receptions, 896 yards, and and a a career-high tying eight touchdowns. One thing you wrote here was something that Mike and I were pretty concerned about was his drop rate. He was targeted 86 times and only caught 48 balls. I mean, it's a 50, 50% conversion rate on catches. What Aguilar included, who were the guys that were overrated for you that the Patriots brought in? Yeah. I mean, I, I want to say probably like everybody, um, <laughs> <laughs> I think um, the one that might live up to the hype is Hunter Henry, but then you're really kind of banking on him reclaiming the play that we saw from him as a rookie and in his second year um, in the NFL back in 2016 and 2017. I mean, he was exceptional those two years. Frank second behind, or third actually, behind Rob Gronkowski and Travis Kelsey in receiving grade those two years, but then the injury started to bite. And ever since he's, you know, those kind of became an issue when he's on the field, he just really has not been the same player. He's kind of been a fringe top 10 receiver at best. And now he's getting paid, you know, tied with John Smith, who they just signed, you know, third highest on an average basis here. So if he can reclaim that play, which is a strong possibility, I, you know, I'm a big fan of Hunter Henry, then that contract makes sense. But that is still a big risk there. I just can't see any of the other guys they paid. Like you said, with Nelson Aguilar, they're kind of paying him this under the assumption that he can, you know, reclaim the play that he had this past season, as far as, you know, the boomer bust nature, he, he created a lot of big plays, but it was just really inconsistent. And even then, he's still being overpaid. I mean, you look at his five years prior to last season in Las Vegas, he was the second lowest graded receiver in the entire NFL. And you compare his contract to a guy like Corey Davis, even though Corey Davis is getting a lot more guaranteed money. I mean, they obviously weren't afraid to hand hand out guaranteed money. just kind of makes me question, why did they not just give that to Corey Davis? I mean, if it was a thing about Corey Davis not coming to New England, why did they just keep offering more? Because obviously the market for him wasn't just, just that strong. Two with Jalen Mills. I mean, he's a you know, a versatile guy, but it's one thing, you know, being versatile and having experience playing all these different positions, but actually being good at him. He just really has not been good at it, you know, in the secondary. And two, I mentioned with Johnny Smith, you know, he's a good after the catch tight end, one of the better after the catch tight ends in, in the entire league, but he's just not worth the money that he got, you know, that 12 and a half million on an average yeah, per, uh, basis there. It's just not that much. You know, you compare his PF of four to other guys in his receiving grade. It just really does not match, um, you know, that type of pay. And it was just kind of the theme too with Matthew Judon. That was another one. I mean, we saw it was, it's very interesting. So, I mean, I think we're, we kind of are going through a little bit of a revolution in the NFL as far as running backs. And I think, you know, obviously some teams are still kind of catching up to that. Like we just saw with the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Jones They're They are firmly in the belief that he matters to the offense and he is the engine of the offense. We can't win without him type of deal, but you have a lot of teams that are starting to catch up thinking, we, we don't have to pay up this kind of money for a running back. And I think we're going to get there with edge defenders as far as sack production kind of goes. And a lot of teams just look at that sack total and they just like, oh, wow, look at all those sacks and those hits. I mean, that's what they're going to bring. It's going to automatically translate from this scheme to the, our scheme. But that's really not the case. And, you know, the Patriots, Matthew Judon, 
uh, the Tennessee Titans with Bud Dupree, you know, Trey Hendrickson going to Cincinnati. I mean, I think these are the the type of examples where we're going to look at it and say, you know, this is really not, you know, he, he didn't live up to the hype. This was kind of a bust signing, a waste of money because you look at all the production he had where, where pretty much you can think, you know, Wink Martindale, all those blitzes that they dialed up there. A lot of those were on block cleanup pressures and sacks and hits that he racked up. He just really did not win on a consistent basis one-on-ones. And that's what he's going to have to do in New England because New England's, you know, blitz and stunt rate has drastically declined over the years. We'll see if they actually end up picking that back up. But I, I don't think it, you know, it's going to change anything up to the speed that, you know, Baltimore did. And, and I think with Bud Dupree too, I mean, that's what's going to happen with, you know, going from Pittsburgh down to Tennessee. And then with Trey Hendrickson, he's an interesting case because I've just never seen somebody just walk into so many sacks in my life. I mean, he had 11 cleanup or unblocked sacks this past season. And a lot of times he was just engaged and the quarterback was just right there to him. All he had to do was just fall over on him. I mean, it was just incredible that it, they just kind of fell in his lap and they paid him four years over 60 million for it. You know, so I, I don't, you know, I wouldn't just completely blame New England. It's still an issue across the league, but that was just another signing of the many that I was not a fan of. I'm with you there on the Judon. Uh, I, 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 we were saying last week, I said, this reminds me way too much of Adelius Thomas. And that was a bust. And it, I think Bill has, he has, for what like what you mentioned, people have their perceptions of running backs. He loves those outside pass rushers that can come in, but it never works. It, it just, it's very rarely worked here. But one thing that you, that you wrote, and I love it because I'm always the antagonist. I'm a Patriot fan, but I kind of like, you know, shitting on them a little bit. You said it was several head scratching things done by Patriots free agency. Was it head scratching because it was like it was dumb? You think it was, you think they overpaid or because it was so unpatriot like to spend the way that they did? Yeah, I would say it's both. And, you know, <laughs> I think my big takeaway from it is that I think, you know, so there were some people saying this was a plan all along. They didn't spend big last year because they were waiting for this year type of thing. But I, I honestly think it was because Bill Belichick saw what his team was this past season. And then he looked at what Tom Brady did. And, you know, we'll never know the answer to this. But I, I do think that he's kind of getting, you know, antsy. He's like, I know I could win. I just need the right players to do it. And, you know, you're just like, let's spend big. And, you know, I thought, you know, an interesting quote from Robert Kraft, I think it was today that dropped saying, you know, typically in free agency, you have 10 to 12 teams interested in some of these guys, but there were only two to three. And then you look at the contracts they handed out and it's just that kind of adds fuel to the fire there. It's just kind of it makes it even more head scratching. So, you know, I wasn't expecting him to come out and kind of spin this big. I expected him to try and fill the winning roster for next season as much as it's not going to happen with the quarterback situation. So, I mean, it's just they're kind of in a rough spot here. And I think it's going to end badly over the next few years. I mean, we looked at what, you know, the Raiders, you know, this offseason, you know, they had a bunch of big cuts and departed with a bunch of guys who they paid big money to a few years ago. I think once 2023 rolls around, we're going to be looking at this free agency class of New England's after a couple of, like I said, you know, so close to 500, sub 500 years from them and say, yeah, that was a bad decision. I mean, that's kind of what happened with the Raiders. So if so, if they get better quarterback play out of Cam, but it doesn't sound like you're, you're high on Cam. I'm, I'm not either, but I think Bill's dead set on winning with Cam to prove that it's the system and the franchise and not the quarterback. But let's say that they go out and they either draft a really good quarterback or they figure out a trade and they get a really good quarterback in here. Do you still feel like in 2023 we'll still be looking back at this free agent class signing and say that it was bad? 
Yeah, I think we will. You know, if hypothetically speaking, if they do get a good quarterback, if they do get a Justin Field, you know, I don't think just with the way the roster is constructed right now, I think it's going to be very hard to kind of, you know, immediately produce great results. So I think, you know, it would be in their best interest to, you know, get a guy like Justin Fields. I think long term within five years, I think it could pay big dividends. But in the short term, I still don't think it would be a good situation with Cam Newton. You know, I think it's there's kind of been a mantra here that a lot of people are betting against Cam just because back, you know, in that MVP season and that Super Bowl run, you know, he I mean, he performed exceptionally well, but that year kind of was an outlier. He just in the injuries had just been so bad over the years that his downfield accuracy is just it's one of the worst in the NFL. He really cannot throw the ball downfield on a consistent basis. I mean, you had guys like. Philip Rivers, who and Drew Brees, who have rubber bands for an arm, you know, completing more passes downfield than Cam Newton could. You know, he does add value with with his legs, but not to the extent that he did. And even then, you know, not having you need to have a, a potent pass attack, not a good rushing attack. That I mean, that's what leads to NFL success. And so it's not me just like personally hating on Cam. And I don't think that's a you know a league wide thing where people just don't like Cam Newton uh, just because he's a unique personality. I love his personality. I wish I, w- I wish he was good. I, I really hope. He does kind of prove me wrong, but I just have not seen any reason to believe that he will. So sticking with the college theme, and of course, this will all come back to Cam in a lot of ways, because like Mike, I don't believe that he will be able to up his play just because of the injuries. And I don't think he's just a quarterback that New England is actually thinking they need. But addressing the two other positions, uh, that you mentioned in, in your article that the Patriots need is is cornerback. And then this morning, I saw that you retweeted PFF's tweet about the underrated players in the draft this year. And I, I really like this one that yours was uh, cornerback out of Washington, Elijah Molden, who's 5'10", 190. He's projected as a, a third round projection, pretty good numbers, especially in 2019, 20, 2020, he only played in four games, but in 2019, he played in 13 games, had four interceptions, really jumped onto the scene for the Huskies. The Patriots have the 96th overall pick in the third round. If you're sitting in the war room with Bill Belichick and Elijah Molden is still there, are you drafting him in New England? Yeah, I mean, it's really not. I mean, he's like he's going to be exclusively a slot corner at the next level. You know, Washington tried him out at safety in his final career game. It went okay, but I think he's going to be pigeonholed to the slot. But that's not a bad thing at all whatsoever because the slot defending the slot is extremely hard, and slot corners are the most undervalued players in the entire game. And we were seeing that this offseason too with some of the contracts in and out, like with Troy Hill going to Cleveland on a very cheap deal, Mike Hilton to Cincinnati, Desmond King to Houston. I mean, they, they're getting incredibly underpaid, but yet they're generating the same amount of value as, you know, typical outside corners with the exception of Jair Alexander's, the Jalen Ramsey's of the world. You know, those elite guys, I mean, they're still generating a lot of value. And I think Elijah Molden has an incredibly high floor. I think he's going to be a come into the league right away and be one of the best slot corners because he has what it takes to be in the slot. I mean, he is an incredibly instinctive player. He has great short area quickness, one of the best tacklers, physical tackler, and he, he can cover all that space that slot corners are tasked with. And I think, you know, teams are going to overlook him for that, but I think he's going to come in, he's going to light up right away. And I think in the NFL draft, you typically need to draft for value. Free agency is attacking need. The draft is for value with exception. There are, you know, different different types of scenarios that pop up where if you need one position and they're kind of close to the same value, kind of lean that direction if it's going to help you in the short term. But within that case, that late in the draft, 100%, because I think he's going to pay, you know, exceed that value slot for sure. So 
Uh, back in February, when you were doing your mock draft, you had Rashad, Rashad Bateman being selected by the Patriots. I've been looking a lot at him. Do you think that this still makes sense, <clears throat> given what they need as far as a quarterback and the how they've kind of addressed their wide receiver situation? Would you, If he was there, would you still take him if you're Belichick? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously the best case scenario would be trading up for a quarterback. But, you know, Rashad Bateman's an interesting one just because I, I think, you know, in a, come April, I think he's going to be an end of the first round type of pick. But I think he should be, you know, a 15th overall pick to New England. You know, there are some concerns maybe about his athleticism. It's not the best. We saw the same thing with Tyler Johnson last year, another Minnesota receiver. But I mean, he's just an exceptional route runner. I mean, he's great, great release package too. I think he's going to handle press coverage relatively easy at the next level. And I think it's worthy of, of taking him 15th overall if I were in the shoes of Bill Belichick. But I mean, knowing how things are probably going to shake out, that'd be a situation where I would maybe try and trade back. And if for some reason you'd miss out on a guy like that, there are other options in the back end of that first round that are very attractive too, especially at the wide receiver position. I mean, you have, you know, Kadarius Tony, Rondale Moore, some of these after the catch nightmares right there for defenses on um, and, and to Elijah Moore, another great slot receiver. So I, I think, you know, Rashad Bateman's worthy of going 15th overall. I don't think he will. I, I think he's probably going to be a candidate to be in the end of the first round, but assuming they don't trade up for a quarterback and I were in the shoes, I think that would be, you know, some, someone I would be willing to take there. Well, there's three options, Anthony, for, for Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. They're either going to surprise us all, trade up to that number three pick or maybe nine with Denver, which has also been floated out there, but I don't know what those six spots would get you or he'll go back in the round or he'll trade out of the first round completely. And new England Patriots fans will have to shut off their TVs a little bit earlier on uh, night one of the draft than we normally do. So my final question for you is if you're looking at the Patriots from your perspective, what you've done with the mock drafts and you've kind of answered this already, uh, but I I just want to hear it from you at the end of the interview. What is your prediction for a New England Patriots record and finish in the AFC East in 2021? You can be rough on us. We're all right. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go with so we're going to have a 17 game season. I'm right. probably going to say 5 and 12 or 6 and 11. <laughs> and no. I I think they may finish they're going to be close with the Jets for last place in the division. I think Miami's I'm still a little concerned with two. I think he's going to end up being the guy. He just wasn't as good as I hoped in that first year, but still that Miami roster is, I mean, absolutely loaded from top to bottom outside of the offensive line. And two with Buffalo, they're taking strides. Josh Allen proved this all wrong. I think he's going to regress a little bit, but I still think they're going to have a, a very good team. And with New York, I think it's pretty, I mean, they hit a home run in free agency. I mean, I them in Cleveland just absolutely lit it up. I mean, they made improvements all over the place. They still have room to improve especially at cornerback. I think depending on what the Jets have at cornerback and is assuming Zach Wilson is the starter, they sec- take him uh, second overall and he starts right at the get-go. I think they have a chance to kind of beat out New England. And I think there is a real-world possibility that they finish fourth. So you think that Bel- Belichick spends $200 million and has a worse record? I was going to ask you a question after that. I don't need to. That's the <laughs> perfect way to end this. I love that. I absolutely love that. Yeah, we're sensible New England fans. I don't know how often you deal with New England fans on Twitter or or elsewhere, but we're the sensible ones that that like to look at this, you know, glass half full, but it can always empty out pretty quick like it did this year. That's what happens when you lose the best quarterback in the history of the NFL. So, Anthony Tresh, we we appreciate you joining us here on Missing the Point today. We don't want to take up too much more of your time, but we appreciate you making every New England fan dislike you before they even meet you. I'm just kidding. Are, Are you a Colts fan? Is that... Or are you a Bengals fan? 
No, I'm not really a fan of anything. I, I grew up a Bears fan, but my fandom's oh. kind of been lost. So I'm just a fan of the league overall. One of the other members of our show, Dave, is a large, well, huge Bears fan. He's not large. He's actually the smallest of all of us. But he's a big Bears fan and almost lost his uh, stuff when they signed Andy Dalton the other day. Yeah, it could be worse for Patriots fans. I mean, he could be in the shape Chicago's in. It's, I would say it's probably worse. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. Well, Anthony Tresh of PFF Pro Football Focus, senior college analyst. Find him on Twitter at PFF. Anthony, thank you so much for coming on today, and we appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks a lot. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts, and... Hear the culture. Electric acid. Are you a fan of classic cinema or a young person who wants to discover the best films of all time? Do these legendary movies still hold up? On the Generation Film Podcast, two guys who grew up when movies dominated the culture share a great film with a panel of young movie lovers and see how it plays for today's generation. We discuss changes in storytelling styles, representation, and the making of each film, its initial reception, and how its meaning has changed over the years. Join us as we explore cinema classics across generations on Generation Film. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.